don't have time for it. And it has really been fulfilling to listen um, to this series and coming out of Eugene Patterson's book, Primarily the Way. And before we jump into the way of Jesus this morning, I would like to ask you guys a question. Um, first of all, it's a true or false. Uh, true or false, Wellspring's messages are recorded every Sunday. True. Uh, true or false, you can find them online or on your phone anytime. True. So now I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you more of a, a personal question. Raise your, close your eyes so there's no, uh, there's no temptation of self-righteousness nor judgment by others. Here we go. So raise your hand if you have ever listened to one of those teachings online after the fact. Go ahead and throw your hands up. Everybody now, throw your hands up. Very good. All right. Now with those with your hands up, on average per month, Put a finger or how many fingers on average per month, how many times you listen to those. So if it's like, oh, once per month, just hold one finger. And so I can get a sense of, okay, all right. You can put your hands down and open your eyes. So what I saw was about 30 to 40% of hands raised. And then I saw a lot of uh, ones and twos and a few like fours or fives up there. And you think, why is he asking and talking about that? Well, I'm going to bring it back to that in a little bit. But that's really how I got pumped and prepped up today. Like, I had all that to listen to and had it right on my phone. And, I, yeah, it, it really was great to say I'm not hopping in blind to say, oh, who's this guy? <laughs> Thinks he'd come here and continue on the series of Bob and Justin. Like, I'm a guy who's listened a lot because I wanted to do a good job. So, with that, I'm also a little bit upset because... <laughs> This has been incredibly challenging teaching, too, especially when Bob got after, like, the inefficiency of Jesus. And he asked a few weeks ago, like, who's our efficiency nuts in here? And it's like, I know who you are, planning out four stoplights ahead. And I was like, man, he's calling me out. Like, I am that guy who's like, all right, let's get to the, the brass tacks of how are we going to get after this in the most efficient way possible. And it's like, that wasn't our Savior. Like, the Jesus way truly is incredibly challenging for me. Like, I feel like I'm continually missing the boat. I'm all for, just like Bob talked about in his intro of this series, I am all for the Jesus life. Who wouldn't be? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. The self-control sometimes, I like, I'll leave that out. But the rest of it, like, this is great. Who wouldn't want the Jesus life? And in fact, yeah, I'm ready for the Jesus truth too, because that sounds really good. But the Jesus truth is much easier when it already aligns with the way I'm already living. And this is kind of a recap of what, you know, what Bob and Justin have already said. But when we get the Jesus true that challenges the very foundations of how we view and see life, that's when it's like, whoa, hang on now. Bob, <laughs> hang on now, Jesus, like really? Is that really how we are supposed to pursue life? Is that the way? And is it the only way? That seems so exclusive. Well, Jesus was an offensive guy. <laughs> and that's the Christ that we have. And sometimes we think, oh, I wish he was a little different. And I think we ought to give him the benefit of the doubt that the author of life knew what he was doing when he came and walked the way he did. So with that, I am with, I'm with you guys, and I'm sure some of you are like, man, 
this way is really hard. And I'm not going to leave here this morning and completely change the way I'm living. It's just, it's really unrealistic. But I'm, I'm hoping that baby steps, one bite at a time, like our lives will start to truly reflect the Jesus way. Even if you guys are start to seen as a bunch of crazy radicals in this world, which the Bible really alludes to, that's, that's what the Jesus way will end up being. It was a radical, radical thing that he was doing 2,000 years ago. So particularly today, Bob asked me to, to go and say, why did Jesus teach in the way he did it? Specifically, why did Jesus use parables? Because really all of Jesus' life was a teaching. Watch him, watch him move. Watch him with his body language, even though we can't see that. Watch how he spoke. And particularly, watch how he used stories. And Bob got to, he talked about stories even earlier this morning as he listened to the woman's story. And what we see is the Bible is this clash of stories all around us. Story after story after story from beginning to end. Stories. And now we have our stories at this time of history and say, how does this butt up against and really align with and come up alongside God's story? And so that's what we, we have. Jesus often using some, a, a really unique but really popular in that day teaching method of using stories, parables. And if you see it up there, this is the definition. A parable is a short story that teaches a moral or spiritual lesson. Now, I, always, I chuckle when I go into this because it always is the teacher thing to do and I'm really not that smart. But the word parable comes from parabolos. <laughs> and I didn't know that until a few days ago. And, you know, I looked that up. <laughs> but that means it's a mixture, too, to come alongside and to cast or to throw. So really what you need to know, what I need to know, is that these are stories that Jesus is using to cast alongside of the truth. It's like if I can get you to see the truth by casting it alongside a story and it gets you to actually grasp that in the very depths of your soul, that's good. And so that's what a parable is all about. A parable is a type of analogy. And another type along, along with that would be like a fable, which I've, we've been reading our kids lots of fables lately. Fables use inanimate objects or animals usually to teach that point. Jesus said, here's a parable. I'm going to use people, things that are very common to people living 2,000 years ago in the Middle East to make my point about what the truth is because I desperately want them to get the point. And so we have parables. But why? Why did Jesus use parables? Well, again, going back to you, Bob, I'm thankful he gave me the topic, like, okay, I want you to talk about this, a lineup in the series. Why did Jesus use parables? Well, in Scripture, his deci- of, of all the things you guys have talked about so far in the Jesus way, um, including how did Jesus get angry last week? How did Jesus teach through healing? And why did he heal people the way he did? Why was he inefficient? Why, why did he do that? Why did Jesus call the disciples the way he did? Why did he ask such pressing questions and use that as a methodology to get into people's lives? Why all of this? Well, my chance to talk to you about parables, his disciples actually asked Jesus the exact question. Why do you use parables? And Jesus gave him an answer. And so, really, I was like, I, I looked at the scripture and like, 
really, I could get up there in five minutes and be done. <laughs> but then we'd been missing the whole point, because why did he use parables? He wanted the point to sink into the depths of our souls. So I'm not going to give that to you yet. I will in a little bit, and actually I'll have a friend of mine give it to you. But I'm really thankful. We have his answer. Why did he teach this way? And he's going to tell us. But before we go there, I want to back up a bit to the Old Testament. Actually, before we go there, um, take another why question. Why did Jesus come in the first place? Why Christmas? Why Bethlehem? Why a stable? Why a manger? Well, we prayed before the service, and the brokenness is as evident as ever this morning. There's a lot of stories that are really heartbreaking happening right in our midst, and you may be going through one of those right now. The brokenness is crazy. This world is broken. We all see it every day. This world is condemned. You don't have to go around saying, oh, that's wrong. That's not right. Why do you live that way? This, you're, you're doing it wrong. We see it all around us, and everybody kind of feels the weight of that condemnation that the world around us is in. There's death and dying all around us, shadows of darkness. So why did Jesus come into that? Because we often think, well, he wanted to bring a little bit more condemnation. And we as Christ followers are going to let the world know they are condemned. Like, no, that is not the point. And Jesus himself said that's not the point. Jason, you can throw that up there for me. John 3.16 is one of the most popular verses. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son so that whoever should believe in him might have everlasting life and not perish. But then John 3.17, the verse right after it says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I have a bad habit of thanking Jesus as the judge, bringing judgment to condemn. That is a false lie. Jesus was a hero, already knowing that the judgment, the condemnation sat on the human race because of sin. And what Jesus wanted was not for people to approach him when he lived his way and say, oh, my guilt is so much, I can't do this. He already knew people were feeling, feeling that. But instead, Jesus said, no, not condemnation, not to make you feel the weight of your sin or your guilt, but to set you free from it in order that you might be saved, in order that I might be saved. That was his purpose. That was his way. And so we think about why did he use parables? Could it be because he knew that was the way that actually is going to make sure we're not just giving out condemnation? Like, here's God's law. Let me expand on it for you. You're not living up, for, up to it. But instead of getting to the point where there's actually a way out, there is freedom and hope and joy and peace waiting for us. Here it is. You just got to get it into, again, the depths of your soul. And understand what that means. This isn't new. This isn't some new, a parable, a new fandangled way that Jesus said, I'm going to teach like this. And actually, um, last week when I got to speak at Fillmore, there was a parable. But we weren't in the New Testament. We were actually talking about King David. One of the stalwarts of the Christian faith and the Jewish faith as well. Known as Israel's greatest king. 
he was actually, he's actually an ancestor of Jesus on both sides of the family, which is, you know, that's for somebody else to teach about, not me. Um, King David, like you've heard of him, you've heard the stories, David and Goliath, slinging the stone, becomes king of Israel, one of the most prosperous times for God's chosen people back then, which happened about a thousand years before Christ was on earth. So King David, a thousand years later, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years later, wellspring. So 3,000 years ago, King David, a man after God's own heart, he's described. This man after God's own heart is the instigator and one of the most tragic scandals in the whole Bible. And there's some scandalous stuff that goes down in, that, in those books. He is at the center and the cause of one of the most scandalous in which his men went off to fight and battle. So first of all, he's overseeing war, which is never you know, great for a leader, but it was God's sanction to try to clear out the chosen land there. His men went off to battle in the springtime. David stayed home, went up to his roof, gets some fresh air one night, looks down, sees a woman bathing. Beautiful woman. He says, hey, servant, who's that lady? Well, that's Bathsheba. That's actually the wife of one of your most trusted warriors, Uriah. Ignore the part about one of the wife. Like, I want her, bring her to me. Gets her into his kingdom, sleeps with her has a great, lustful night of an affair. Okay, send her home. Whew, that was good, David said. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of things I can't control sometimes. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sarah. <laughs> Let's get back to the point, people. Come on, Wellspring. So, everything like, oh, it was just one night. One night, no big deal, Right? Until he gets word, David, from Bathsheba, David, I'm pregnant. My husband's at war. People are going to know. It was you. And so David says, shoot. (laughs) Okay, here's the plan. Uriah, come on back. Come on back from war. Have him give me a report about how things are going on the front lines. And okay, you know, Uriah, Uriah comes, gives him the report. David's probably not even listening. He's like, okay, thank you, Uriah. Now go home. Be with your wife. You've been on, out there a long time. Go be with your wife. Take it easy, relax. So Uriah goes home. He doesn't go inside. He sleeps on his front stoop saying, my brothers are out there fighting. I'm not going to be the one who says, oh, I can relax and enjoy my wife, enjoy my house, and, and just live a little. Like, no. That pain of unfaithfulness to my brothers, of my mission out there on the battlefield, that pain would be far greater than the pain of, I just need to go a few more months without enjoying the presence of my wife. So he doesn't do it, which to me is also like, wow, Uriah was quite a guy. So anyway, Uriah, King David finds out, and he's like, you, you slept on your front stoop? All right, well, let's get you drunk then. At least then maybe you'll release your inhibitions, feel the rain on your skin. And so he gets him drunk. Uriah still doesn't sleep with his wife. And David's like, at the end of his chain, it's like, I have one choice left. And I've made light of it, but this is tragic. He sends Uriah back to the battlefield with orders to Joab, Uriah's commander. Put him on the front lines. 
where the fighting is the fiercest, and when he's up there, order the rest of the troops to pull back, leaving him all alone, knowing full well he would be killed. David, a man after God's own heart, slept with a man's wife and then had that very faithful, loyal man killed, abandoned by his peers. And you just imagine what could have been going through Uriah's mind as he, like he didn't, we don't know that he knew about the affair, but just as he's fighting and, and looks back and seeing all of his closest friends, his brothers, abandon him. And who was behind it all? David, a man after God's own heart. Crazy. So that's the context for when we get to what I want to see is the parable that comes out of that time. And I've asked my friend, Jacoby, to come on up and give you what the, some of the aftermath was. When God told of his prophet at that time, Nathan, to say, hey, I want you to go to King David. And when you get there, I want you to tell him this, which is found in your uh, pew Bibles on page 215. 2 Samuel chapter 12, if you want to see what Jacob is going to lay out for us. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb and he had bought. He raised it and grew it up with his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep and cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Brother. So David's steamed at this parable, this story. He thought, I think Nathan was probably presenting it as, like, this really happened. And Nathan's like, unbelievable. How could someone do that? Death. Death to him. After David says that, Nathan says, David. You are the man. Don't you get it? What you've done? You deserve death right now. By Israel's laws, by God's law, you deserve death. Probably more so than that. You deserve something worse than just quick death. It, and at that moment, David's heart just sank. And we think about what, what could have been an alternative way this story could have gone down. Nathan gave David a story, and David reacted to it. What if Nathan would have just came up to him and said, David, your heart is hard. You've slept with a man's wife. You had him murdered. What were you thinking? David knew all of that already, and yet here he sat doing his job, just going about life, probably thinking, your eye's dead. This is all just going to go away. But instead, Nathan gives him a story where David actually gives the judgment, like, yes, deserving of death. Like, Nathan says, all right, David, that's your judgment. You are deserving of death for what you've done. And in that parable that Nathan used, 
he broke down the walls of the darkness and sin of David's heart. And it's really the best part about this story isn't the fact that, man, that was some evil that went down there with Nathan or with David, Bathsheba, Uriah. That's tough stuff. But what happened and came out of it, David was broken. And in fact, I'm sure you've sang the song here at Wellspring, White as Snow by John Foreman. Um, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Those words are taken directly from Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, it says, it specifically was written by David right after Nathan came and confronted him with the truth. The result of that parable and David realizing like, whoa, I I have done something awful. I am a broken soul. Was David's heart totally being broken before God? And God seeing that brokenness and saying, that's a man after my own heart. That humility, that's what I want. That parable broke down the walls of David's heart. That parable set the stage, not for condemnation, but for a saving grace that David actually had access to. Do we think David deserved it? Originally, no, I didn't, but I'm, I do now because I know I'm an adulterous murderer as well. So that's really, really great that he was pulled out of that in humility and a brokenness and a broken spirit. So we fast forward back to Jesus' time and we say, why did Jesus use parables? Because parables were powerful. We all know as you guys sit and listen week after week to Justin or Bob or whoever happens to be teaching you that week, you know it's far more interesting to hear a story, to hear an application than to say, all right, here we go. Here's scripture for you, line by line, precept by precept. But what happens when we start to let our own walls fall down and say, okay, where do I find myself in this story, in God's story? How does my story come alongside? How is my story a parable of God's kingdom? The kingdom of God is like, Jesus would often say as he would start a parable. The kingdom of God is like us ready to be broken before him. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And if we have ears to hear, and let our hearts be in a place where we can actually receive that truth and get to the Jesus way, I think we'll find that, hey, the best is yet to come. <laughs> I laughed at the Savannah homecoming parade on Friday because Laverna Village, and I apologize if anyone works there. Um, <laughs> but the slogan on the side, it's, I mean, it makes sense, but it struck me as so funny. Laverna Village, for nursing, it's a nursing home. <laughs> It doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> I was like, that is funny. <laughs> and that is not the Jesus way. It doesn't get any better than this. Actually, no. In young life, what Jim Rayburn, the founder, always said, the best young life is yet to be done. The best life is yet to be lived for you and I. Because as we continue to break down the walls of our heart release the bonds that Christ has set us free from sin. The best life is yet to come. It's so exciting. So I said Jesus answered the question directly. Why did he teach in parables? So I've asked Leighton to come and give us an answer. And page, what page was it, Leighton? 684 in your pew Bibles.
The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are, are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear you hear. Sorry, and, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear. Awesome. Thanks, Leighton. So that's it. It's kind of a tough answer. And I really, and I said to Bob, like, I'm really glad this is what I get to dig into because this, that's a tough answer. So those who have ears to hear can, and, and hearts that are open can understand these stories. That's, he says, why I speak in parables. But for those who do not have ears to hear, I don't want them to hear it so clear lest they turn and be saved. And it's like, wait a second, isn't that why Jesus came? So that we could be saved? Everybody? And there's four different specific times in Scripture where it says God's desire all men to be saved. All people, all men, women, children, everybody. I want you all to be taken back under my wing, freed from the bondage of sin. So what are we talking about here? Jesus saying, lest they turn and be saved and hear and understand. It helps a lot when I began studying and heard from teachers far smarter than me about Scripture who said it wasn't about whether Christ or God wanted them to be saved or not. It was about whether or not they wanted to be saved. That's the point. And that's why Jesus used parables because Men will be without excuse, the Bible says. We have the very creator's signature on our heart, something within us that longs to be reunited to the creator. And yet there was people in that day, and there's people in our day who really have no desire to get back there. A question was posed to me once. If everything you thought to be true was found out to be a lie, later in life, would you really want to know? And that was presented to a man named Nabil Qureshi, who was a Muslim, um, in a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, one of the best books I've ever read. You should read it. And his friend asked him that, his Christian friend asked him, Nabil, if Jesus turned out to be the Savior that you think he couldn't be, would you want to know it? And Nabil stepped back like, That's a tough question because if he said yes, that means he knew he was going to lose his whole family someday. But ultimately, he did answer that question, yes, I would want to know the truth. And Nabil found out the truth, and he is working for Ravi Zacharias Ministries now. Changed my life, changed many others, I'm sure. So the question for you and I is, if something you're living, if the way you're living right now turns out to be far away from the truth, of the, the Jesus truth that leads to the Jesus way, 
do you really want to know? Because it's likely going to bring a big disruption in the way you're living now or the way you think you want to be living in 5, 10, 20 years from now. Do you really want it? Because that's what Jesus is saying. Those who really want it, they're going to get what I'm saying. When I'm telling these stories, they're going to get it. But those who don't are going to find a reason not to believe. How is your heart? Is your heart ready for the truth? Can you say, yes, I want the truth? So much of my life is spent saying that and giving lip service. Yes, I want the truth, but I live differently. The way of my life does not back that up. And I am sorry for it. And I want to be better. And I hope you want to be better too. The context of what Leighton read there in Matthew 13 was in the parable of the sower. Jesus told the story about the seeds being spread, and you can throw that picture up there. The, the seeds being spread, it falls on four different types of ground. We don't have time to hash all that out. But he told that parable, and then his disciples asked the question, why did you, what does that even mean, Jesus? And, and that's when Jesus says, this is why I speak in parables, and here's what it means. He said, some of the seed, the word that I cast out, falls on hard ground, on the path. Birds come snatch it up. It's like Satan coming and taking that right out of your heart. Doesn't let it give time to sink into the depths of your soul. Others, it falls on rocky soil where it gets a little bit in and even starts to sprout up, but there's no root system. Sun comes out, heats up, shrivels away. Others comes and it finds a little bit deeper soil even yet, It gets grown, there's a sprout, there's a fruit, but then the thistles and the ways of this world come and choke it out. It's dead. And then there's a fourth kind of soil, good soil. Your heart, he said, if it can be good soil and you let that word sink into the very depths of who you are, it produces a fruit 10 times, 20 times, 40, 100 times. That fruit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's worth it. That's why Jesus used parables. He said, I am desperate to get this word into good soil. And so the question for you and me on this side of it is, are our hearts in a place of good soil? Are you ready for the real Jesus way? Because it's going to rock your world. And it's probably going to involve some real pain. But it's going to be a life that leads to the best is yet to come. And then the other side of it, I think, applies to when we go out and we try to give the same truth to others. Say, how are we going about it? Are we coming about in a way of condemnation? Like, hey, I'm just going to tell you, you're an adulterer and you're going to burn in hell. Or you're greedy, I see your greed, and it makes me want to puke. (laughs) Or the thousands of other sins we could sit here and condemn, condemn, condemn. Or do we want to save our brothers and sisters? Do we want to save our neighbors who have no desire to be in these walls this morning? Because if so, it's not going to be us shouting them down with condemnation. It's going to be being tactful and using stories and whatever else it takes, acts of service, acts of love, to say this Jesus truth needs to find good soil in the hearts of anyone who will hear it. Some people have no desire to hear it. That's not on us. But there's some who are desperate to hear it and just need to hear it in the true way. So let's take it to them in a way that's powerful, in a way that actually saves. 
Because that's what Jesus was doing. And we see the impact. The reverberations of a life lived 2,000 years ago says we sit here today. Crazy. What about 2,000 years from now? What, how will we have amplified the true Jesus and his way of living? So I, I, I almost close it without bringing it back to you. You have an opportunity every week to listen to these teachings. You hear the message. I'm thankful you're here. And you get to hear this, hear Bob teaching, hear Justin. Way to go. But if this is all it is, it's, it almost could be chalked up to a waste of time. If you're here to be seen, like, oh, here I am. Everybody see I attend Wellspring. Or you go out. Somebody asks you, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to Wellspring. If that's it, if that's why you're here, and this is just like, I just have to endure this for 30, 40 minutes, and then I'll be free to go on my way and watch the Chiefs play. If that's what it is, it's a, it's a waste of time. Still come, because maybe you'll get it someday, but it's a waste of time. Here we can see each other move and act. Here's my challenge to you. If you really want your heart to be soft, ready for the word of Christ to find the very depths of your soul, engage the truth continually, including what you hear from your teachers on a Sunday morning. You put it on your phone, and you fill the gaps that you're currently filling with sports radio, talk radio, music that, you know, I'm all for music. I'm not against music, but you have gaps where you can easily feel it with saying, my heart is open to the truth. And I know just hearing it one time on a Sunday morning, it's probably fallen on a hard path where it can easily be snatched up by what's happening on Monday morning or what's Satan just getting it right off the, the, the path. Nurture the soil. Come back to it. Listen to what Bob and Justin teach at least one more time, if not two to three more times. By the fourth time, you're like, okay, I've heard this joke you know, so many times. But the whole message, you could almost say what's coming next at that point. It started to be ingrained into your heart, into the very depths of your soul. And if they keep preaching Jesus' truth and Jesus' way, that's what's being written on your heart. And that, over time, is when you're going to see, man, my life is changing. It's being rocked, and it's awesome. So that's your challenge. Do it. <laughs> let your heart be good soil. And let's get rid of anything less than the Jesus way. And that's why Jesus taught in parables. Amen. <laughs> let's pray. Father, thank you. This is so, so good. And I just, in our hearts, we want to say this together. We are broken, we are prideful, we have walls and hardened hearts within us. Break them down, please, for the love of all that is good that you've created. Break down the walls of our hearts, soften them, so that we can let your truth sink into the very depths of our soul, so that we can truly follow a Jesus way and truly encounter the Jesus life.